Welcome to the Happy in the Mess podcast. We are your hosts, Marlena, Sherry, and Matthew. We are therapists and coaches, and we want to share our own stories with you, as well as the wisdom, insights, and tips we've learned along the way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Welcome to this episode of the Happy in the Mess podcast. I'm Sherry, and I'm here with our resident expert extraordinaires, Matthew and Marlena. Today, we're going to talk about vulnerability hangovers. I have to admit, I'm really excited to host this episode. I've got a lot of questions about this idea of vulnerability hangovers. Before I forget, let me remind you, please like, share, comment, rate, and review on whatever platform you listen to. It might seem a little unnecessary, but it makes a huge difference to those who are searching for answers for these kind of questions. You can also find each of us on our own platforms, creating our own happy magic. Let's hear from each of our coaches and where we can find them. Marlena, can you tell our listeners where to find you and what you're working on? Yeah, you can find me at coachmarlena.com. And right now I'm holding a flash Valentine's Day sale. So you can uh, get a hold of me there. And um, I am working on... Uh, well, getting through this launch, I'm doing this 30% off my heartbreak course for those going through a breakup, as well as a deal breakers blueprint for people to figure out what their boundaries are and relationships and what are deal breakers. And lastly, swipe right, which is a 30 minute one-on-one coaching call. If you're interested in getting back into the online dating pool, because we all know that can be very challenging. Well, maybe you two don't know, but for those of us singles, it can be very challenging anyway. Um, yeah. So thanks for letting me share that Sherry. Oh, thank you so much. I know your programs are great. Matthew, awesome. what about you? For those of us dating when AOL was still coming out on uh, <laughs> floppy disks, I don't know about that, but no, I'm Matthew and uh, you can find me at MatthewEMorgan.com or Misfit Refuge. Um, and really, we're just kind of a place for neurodivergent spiritual people to hang out, chill, kind of start to develop uh, really who we are. Um, and we're doing that as a, as, as a practice as well. Um, so I've got a um, geek therapy uh, segment kind of in the works right now, kind of based off of some bounty hunter type stuff uh, and just letting the nerd fly. Um, but just in a sense of like holistically finding ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. So there's more information on the website about that. Yeah. We can't wait to see what your programs are going to look like. Cause I know the work you're doing is really important. So I'm Sherry Timko. I'm a couples relationship coach and I can be found at sherrytimko.com. One of the reasons that I'm so excited to have this discussion with you guys is that I am in the middle of a 30-day challenge to do a social media blitz. And of course, I'm launching the latest group for my couples dating program. And I am like steeped in this vulnerability hangover. Like, Putting myself out there has been, I've just had so many reactions to it. So I'm really curious what you guys can can do and give us in terms of tips to help us really move through this and make sense of it. Let's start at the the easy question. What is a vulnerability hangover and what causes it? Well, this was a, a term coined by Brene Brown. And she describes it as the feeling of shame you have after you've taken an emotional risk. So when you maybe ask someone out on a date or ask your partner for an intimate moment, or like you said, becoming an entrepreneur and like being visible to thousands and thousands of people, um, all of these things can produce a feeling of, oh my God, what did I just do? I want to crawl into a hole and die. (laughs) 
I, the first one that jumps to mind is uh, Steve Urkel. And you, you go back and you look look at the mess that just happened behind you. And you're like, oh, did I do that? And it's like, <laughs> like, uh. and it can be it can be real. It can be imaginary. Uh, it, it's it's there's all sorts of nuances to it. But it it really is. It's that feeling feeling of shame that just bubbles up. And we've talked about emotions and past episodes and feelings and how to handle it. So definitely for those that want to dive into that section after you're done listening to this one, it'd be great to go back and, and check out some of those too, if you haven't already. Um, but I think it's a very normal feeling. Um, and I love when, when Brene Brown, I remember watching her, her, her Ted talk when she said that and I was like, Oh, it's like, yeah. that's a perfect term for it. Like that idea of that hangover of just that after effect feeling of like, Oh, I, I did something that I'm not comfortable with. Yeah, or I did something that I was comfortable with in the moment, but I didn't really think it through. So mm. then I get out of the situation and I wonder if I overshared or if I like revealed too much of myself. Um, I was talking about the social media, but I also get this when I spend time with friends and share a lot. And mm. then I leave that situation. And I'm like, oh, no, what do they think of me? Like that, that didn't come off really great. And I go into all of these thoughts that are about self-doubt and trying to figure out how someone else is thinking of me. Yeah, it feels like an intense uh, fear of judgment, either from others, but it's also sort of the negative self-talk that happens. Like, did, you know, did I share something that I'm not? actually, actually comfortable with, or that I might judge myself for, you know? And so it, it comes from, it seems like both sides, like the fear of what someone else is thinking, but also now I'm thinking poorly about myself too. Yeah. Yeah. That idea of, did I present something that they're going to take out of context and not understand that that's just a little piece of that bigger picture. Right. I, and that's I'm, the risk though, that you take is that so, some people actually might judge you for it. And oftentimes the, the larger you present, you know, the, take the emotional risk, the larger the risk, the more likely that that actually might happen. Oh, that's scary, man, Marlena. <laughs> I never want to step out of my comfort zone again. Like, I don't want that like certainty that someone <laughs> might judge me. All right. Well, uh, okay. It, rolling back into that, like you, you felt that Sherry, like that, that moment. And I appreciate you being, you being vulnerable with this because it, and we said it earlier, it's rooted in shame. It's rooted in this feeling, uh, right. If people look at me, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for them. I'm not good enough for whatever's going on. And, and shame gets a really bad rap. And I've, and I've been very anti-shame, but as I've been studying it more and working with people, it has a purpose. You know, if you think of terms of us being a, a tribal or, or a herd society, right? Shame kind of is that indicator that well, I've just wandered outside the outside the herd, you know, and it's like there there is a, a there is a sense of vulnerability if you're out there. But that's also the place where people lead from. That's where people start to move, potentially can move the herd or move others there. Um, but there is that momentary Mm -hmm. I'm hanging out here and it doesn't feel good <laughs> and we're constantly checking our feels and our thinks at the same time here. Mm -hmm. You guys know I talk about shame a lot with clients, but even hearing you say, hey, Sherry, that's shame. There's some part of me that's like, no, that's not shame. I don't have shame. And of course, you're right. Of course it is. 
Um, but I just want to like kind of explain it away as something else because it feels so uncomfortable to even think about that that vulnerability being linked with shame. Oh, well, for sure. And and I think maybe I don't want to speak for either of you, but that I'm supposed to be this evolved therapist that helps other people through this. I shouldn't have to, I should be, I should be above this, above this feeling of shame or above this, you know, not caring what people think. And like, well, that's not true. I'm very human. And that mm-hmm. is still a thing. And like Matthew shared, I mean, sometimes the shame is an indication that we've wandered away from the herd, but oftentimes that is a, a perception, not reality either. And even when people are being like, I've had, um, sort of hate mail on my social media, people criticizing whatever I have shared. And, um, I responded with compassion and understanding, also understanding that like a lot of that has nothing to do with me. This person knows me not one bit and they were taking information from a 15 second reel, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, and also being like, all right, do I really need to bring this close to my heart and, and take it as true? Probably not probably not. And bless and release. Like that's not my stuff. I'm so sorry. That's so hard to get that negative feedback on, especially when you're being vulnerable and you put yourself out there and then someone comes back and says this thing and it is hard to set it aside and say, this isn't really about me. Mm. Yeah. 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 I I was, I, written a novel for a competition at one point and it, you have to go up levels and the first couple levels did really well and I got to the point where I was like oh I'm feeling good about myself like like this is gonna go I'm gonna win this thing and it got to like that crucial level where the super professional people really got in and, and tore it apart and they tore it apart they they shredded this thing like the review is still burned in my brain because I made the mistake of Marlene I love what you said put it put it in your heart like i I pretty much etched that review on there and, you know, and it was like that vulnerability hangover feeling like I did all of this, I failed. But then as we start to process, it's like, no, they didn't get it. There was some good feedback within there even that I could change. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I was like, okay, but there's still a, a tribe of people who really liked this in, in the way that it was. Um, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it's just going back to that mindful what's going on right now. Who is this person? What, what right do they have? And that's really as we take the shame feeling and the fear and start to coalesce it into something that's real and tangible. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. So I'm, as I'm listening to you guys and I hear these different situations that you're talking about, I'm wondering if it's the same for close friends and family as it is for you professionally, or is there a difference there? When you say close friends and family, do you mean like um, taking the emotional risk with friends and family? Yes, that that vulnerability hangover, what leads to it, and then that experience of it. Well, for me, that can actually feel even more painful because I do care about friends and family up to a certain point. You know, like, I mean, like, I do value their opinion of me. They do know me better. And when I put myself out there with um, taking an emotional risk, whether it be like um, trying to reconnect with um, a former flame or trying to make amends with a sibling or whatever like that, and you put yourself out there and then you risk that rejection, it can feel awful if it's not received well. And for me in these situations, I like to ask myself the question, what would I regret more? doing this or not doing this to help guide the decision 
like, and I know I had a really great therapist a long time ago. used to tell me like when I was about to take an emotional risk, like you'll be okay, no matter what, like, and, and also helping me check my motives. Like, what am I doing this for? And, and if I do not receive the response I'm hoping for, I will still be proud of myself that I was brave enough to do this thing. And I've also heard like the things we regret in life are usually not the risks we took, but the ones we didn't. And so realizing like, there's nothing serious going on here. I might be feel a little hurt and my heart might like hurt a little bit, but ultimately like no one's dying. Like, I just have to remind myself, like, it's not that big a deal. And 10 years from now, it will not affect me the same way. And I will not perceive it the same way. And it's, and probably a week from then it won't, you know, like just taking some perspective on this, like, yes, it's a risk and I don't want to regret not having done it. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. I have, you know, that's how the game I play with myself when I'm about to do something like that. All right. So I have to ask, because I do think a lot of people carry these things for a long time. So Mm. you said maybe it wouldn't make a difference in a week, or maybe it wouldn't make a difference in 10 years, but how do you get to that point where you can put that down? Because I, I think we have a tendency to hold that. Mm, That's a great question. I'm curious. I'm going to lob it over to Matthew first. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm still, I'm, I'm just kind of processing the the big picture at large here, but I think, uh, and I'm going to kind of, I think maybe ease back into it, but this idea of uh, use the term risk, risk versus reward. Um, and your first question, Sherry was like, is this different with friends or family? And it's, you know, if, if I offend Joe Bob, uh, with my reel, I don't care because there, there's not a high risk with it. There's also not a high reward mm. with my family members. There is, you know, and the closer, I think the closer that is to me, um, as we move in through social circles, um, and into people who are part of our lives, there's a very high degree of anxiety that goes with that, um, because we run a risk of a bigger rejection. Um, what are they going to think about me? Um, and then going back into the, how do we, how do we get over that? Because, uh, and I'm, I may even lob that back to you, Sherry, because I'm sure as a marriage person, you see where, you know, even in a couple, which is a really tight relationship, that there are people who can hold on to secrets or vulnerabilities for an extended period of time. Um, and as far as how long it goes, I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to roll back right back into Brene Brown, because she's the one that says that if we share our vulnerability, essentially, I'm paraphrasing her here, but right? if we share our vulnerability, our shame um, with somebody who responds with love and empathy, then then that can't survive. Um, but you have to get to that point to bring it to the light first. Um, and in, until it stays in the dark, it's just going to, or as long as it stays in the dark, it's going to grow. Yeah, that's things hidden in the dark will fester. And they oh, have, yeah. you have to bring them out into the light. I guess the other thing, as I was listening to you talk, what I was thinking is um, how often that vulnerability hangover is connected with perfectionism, which, of course, is another one of Renee Brown's mm-hmm. uh, topics that she studies. And that some of letting go of vulnerability hangovers has to be forgiving yourself for not being perfect in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah doing and a lot of times i'll roll back with this idea did we do the best we could in a particular time given the information because we really can look back and say oh i should have done this um which again is that vulnerability hangover part um i I love the idea i'm working with neurodivergent misfit people (laughs) like i tell them oftentimes there was a meme about this was a lot of times we're so bright to know that we're awkward 
but we're not smart enough to know how to overcome that awkwardness. Mm -hmm. um, so it does kind of sit and fester in there and, oh, I should have done this. I, sh I should have gone back to that. And we should all over ourselves. Um, and until we give ourselves that grace and maybe that understanding, it's going to kind of sit there and fester as well. Yeah. I can't emphasize the, the importance of having what you just said, because I was thinking back to my previous hangups that maybe I had festered on for, for longer than a year, things that um, felt very vulnerable. And subsequently I felt shame and what dissipated it time really helped, but also, yeah, talking to other people and realizing like, I'm not the only one who's had those experiences and having the love and empathy of others, but also I've been taught to book and really tough emotional risks with people who understood what I was about to do and who I could call before I, I was going to do it. And after I was going to do it, like, you know, I would make sure there was a bookend person for me hanging out in the wings so that like when I needed to get out of the boxing ring and get some, a towel and a drink that they would pat, you know, <laughs> clean me up a little bit if I, if I needed it. And, um, I'm really grateful. I have people like that in my life who are going to just love and accept me no matter what. And I tell, you know, and they're my bookend people. And uh, that's been very helpful to help me get through it. And, you know, a little pep talk afterward and we just get back in there. That dovetails into what Matthew asked about couples. And uh, one of the things that I work with couples to do is to create this sacred space. And it, you can show up as who you are, even in your messiness, if you've got that sacred space. But it does take a good amount of safety and trust to be able to show up and be messy and talk about really hard things with your partner and have confidence that they're not going to judge you and they're not going to use that against you in an argument later. So it is a hard thing to achieve. Well, maybe it's not a hard thing. It just takes being intentional and being kind and really cleaning up the ways that you hurt each other so that those things don't keep you from having that kind of honesty together. Mm. I love that. that, that yeah. So it's is a, there any benefit to having a vulnerability hangover? We've been talking a lot about the cost, but is there anything good about this? I do think for me with time having, um, especially if I share the same thing over and over in different spaces, it begins to lose its... Mm, novelty sense of anxiety that is, is associated with it. And then it becomes, I just become more open and transparent as a person. And that, um, and then it's just no big deal. And I love it when finally my vulnerabilities become like no real big deal, you know, to me to share them. I'm like, oh yeah, I've shared that many times. No big deal. Mm -hmm. Because then I realize that most people don't think of it as a big deal either. Um, and that, um, I, you know, I am the center of my own universe as is everyone. And no one's thinking about me that hard when they go home. <laughs> you know, like I am not the center of most people's universe. So um, most people are going to forget what I shared anyway. And even if they do remember, it's not a constant thought. And I have to remember that, like, we're sort of egocentric in this way. No one's thinking about us other than us most of the time. So, yeah. yeah. I appreciate that. I, when I was in Bible college, I preached a, a sermon that if it could go wrong, it did. It was just one of these start to finish, tripped over my words, equipment failure, like, and I just got done. And it, it's just one of those where you just hope that a hole opens up and you can crawl into it and go away for an extended period of time. And and my pastor, uh, John Brady, amazing man who just 
big guy, very loving. And he just, he, and he came over and he shared some of his vulnerabilities, which I think is one benefit is, is when, when we have those moments, we can empathize with other people. We can really understand. And when we see somebody else suffering, we, we can go to them and not, not continue to shame them. Um, and that really develops that skill. And I, I remember him doing that. Um, and to what you said, Marlena, like months later, I, I had somebody else come to me and, and he was saying, you know, hey, my wife really, you know, she was talking about this particular message and, you know, how great it was and impactful. And I was like, was that the same one I was at? Because, because that was not a good moment. But it's that idea of th there's a lot more to it. And, and we really see our flaws so magnified. Um, and that vulnerability, the more we tap into it, the more we realize that it's not a bad thing to be, to stray out a little bit further. And I would also say with that, Matthew, you know, this is a good um, example of how it can create strength and bonds or intimacy or draw people to us. Like that softness that comes with being vulnerable is very attractive. You know what? It's hard to love like a perfect machine, you know, like, it's just like, there's no flaws to that are adorable or anything, you know, like there is something beautiful about the messiness and, and being flawed and not being perfect and sharing some failure, like the hero's journey, you know, of failure. And then a win, you know, is so deeply entrenched in, in all culture. People like to read about this kind of thing, people mm -hmm. being vulnerable and, and feeling, experiencing shame and loss and, and failure, and then rising out of it. You know, this is a beautiful story that that's just, it's just attractive. It makes, makes people attractive. I mean, not just in a romantic sense, but we're drawn to people who are that courageous and flawed. Yeah, that vulnerability can really strengthen the relationship and let you know each other well. Um, I think the hangover part of it is also something that can be a little bit helpful. At least I try to think of it that way because it gets me to kind of look at the situation and see if I was prematurely being vulnerable in a relationship that couldn't handle it, or if I was sharing something that I hadn't processed well enough mm -hmm. that I could share it without, I don't know, spilling on to other people or, or not able to come to any conclusions. So I, I don't love a vulnerability hangover and I can get myself into them so easily but I do find that there's at least that pause that makes me say, well, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. I like that, Sherry, because sometimes yeah. you're right. Sometimes we do share pre prematurely and um, the relationship's not ready for it. You weren't ready for it, perhaps, you know, and, and that's that's very true. That's an invitation to perhaps take a step back or share more selectively. So as we get ready to wrap up, I have to ask you guys about how we can avoid a vulnerability hangover. Now, I'll be honest, I am really good at getting into them. And now I'm pretty good at recognizing when I'm in a vulnerability hangover. And sometimes I can even anticipate that I'm going to have one, but I haven't figured out a way to not have them. So you guys have any wisdom on this? <laughs> I'm nope. not sure you can avoid it. <laughs> that, that's, I'm having the just... exact same thought. It's like, yeah. Matthew and I were talking before the show how a nap and a snack solves a lot of problems. Like when I've had a vulnerability hangover, the best things I can do for myself is just take a nap and just 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 hide out, let myself recover <laughs> under the covers, and uh, yeah, and not forget to eat. Yeah, well, and leaning the opposite side of this, I think the best way to avoid the vulnerability hangover is to not be vulnerable anymore. 
um, you can absolutely just cloister yourself in, lock yourself in, don't reach out, stay in your lane, turtle up basically. Um, that's terrible advice, by the way. So don't pull that previous sound clip out of context. Um, because I, I think the hangover is in, it, it's inherently connected to the idea of vulnerability. So anytime we reach out and we grow outside of our comfort zone, we're going to have growing pains. You know, uh, my my uh, almost 13 year old son right now is going through growing pains, you know, and I want him like I don't want him to hurt, but I want him to experience that because that means that someday he may actually be taller than me, uh, which at five foot four is a, a very admirable uh, goal. Right. I'm five foot four. So I, again, I, I, the, the question itself, I don't I don't know that we want to avoid it, but we want to be able to process it and process it in a way, Sherry, what you were saying, where it's, it's smoother. It's not a, you know, a, a college morning hangover. It's probably a January 1st hangover kind of thing. And not that I advocate any of that, but <laughs> give us that ability to kind of name it, talk it out, work through it with others, find that support. And then we, we develop that muscle to go through the dip a little quicker. Wow, yeah. And, and I would piggyback on this and also say, you know, something I learned, I think from Brene Brown as well. And I, I, I also do this. I don't go back and listen to things that I already started feeling emotionally cringy about. Like I just, why, why subject myself to that? Mm -hmm. I it's already out there. I can't fix it. Um, and I prefer not to. So I just, I just, I just let it, let it go and, and move on to the next thing. Because for most people, people are actually, the public is quite forgiving. When I think about all the politicians and whatnot and all the atrocious things that people have done very publicly and, and how our ability to move on from it, you know, like I'm nowhere near at that level. So, I mean, I just feel like it, it will be forgiven and probably forgotten. Wow, those are great pearls of wisdom. Thank you for sharing those. You know, I talked a little bit about married couples and how vulnerability and vulnerability hangovers can affect them. I'm curious how it would affect each of your individual niches. Like Marlena, what about people who are, are dating? What about that vulnerability in that space? Oh, one of the biggest things I see in my niche is, um, you know, I, I'm a dating spiritual dating coach is having the conversation of, of where are we going? Um, that's a huge vulnerability, uh, can be a hangover because people are so afraid that they're not going to get the response that there's a mutual commitment happening or whatever, because that can be the termination of the relationship. And then you're dealing with a whole another set of sadness and grief. Um, and other, other times though, both parties are so afraid to bring it up, but they were both on the same page. Either way, it is a vulnerable moment and it helps you move forward. Even if that means the termination of the relationship. Um, and so for me, it's, it's definitely worth it because you need to know where you're going. Um, if, you know, and if you're on the same page, so that, that's where, and then of course, just the regular asking people out and getting rejected is a common one too. But once you already started dating and having that, are you seeing anyone else? Can we just see each other? That exclusivity DTR define the relationship conversation can be a big one. And yeah, it sucks, but sometimes it ends up really well. And sometimes it doesn't either way you're moving forward. Yeah, thank you. That's so insightful. I was immediately thinking of the asking people out, but you're right that later, where are we conversation is probably a much more impactful situation. Well, you're already a little bit more invested, whereas just yeah. asking someone random out, yeah, low investment, you haven't really done anything yet. Yeah. yeah. So Matthew, what about for your niche? You tend to deal with people who are much more sensitive to this feedback from the outside. So what about them? Absolutely. And 
and I think that idea of sensitive to feedback, that's the key in there for both sides. Um, and I think as you are, particularly for highly sensitive people, we will become our worst enemies. We will flog ourselves repeatedly every time we make a mistake because we just, again, everything is magnified. Um, but likewise, oh, this hurts as an introvert, but I'm going to say it anyway, Marlena, what you were saying earlier is you want to surround yourself with those other voices that that will build you up and and let you know that you're okay. Um, a lot of times, especially in the neurodiversity realm, I, I try to reframe everything and the idea of like we're building scripts. Uh, and so as something breaks, which is really where the, the vulnerability comes in, as something doesn't work, we're going to build a script with that information. We have data now that we can turn that into something. Um, so if I've made eye contact too long, or if I said an inappropriate joke in public or whatever it may be, now I can say, oh, that didn't work. So I'm going to rebuild this in a way that says that person is not safe to do that with, or this, or this person is safe to do it with. Um, so I think a lot of those little things of just giving ourselves space to adjust and I think acknowledge and recognize that we are we are on the outside of the herd anyway, um, typically, uh, at least on the outside edges of it. So there's always going to be that innate feeling um, that we can just embrace uh, because that's also that gives us the best view of everything else going on, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. And, wisdom. you know, Brene, Brene Brown say that this is wholehearted living, right? The, the, the happy and the wholehearted are the people mm-hmm. who take these risks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anyone's curious, Brene Brown has a lot of work around this topic, so feel free to look her up. She's got uh, TED Talks and books and videos, and she did a special on Netflix a few years ago. So there's a lot of material about this, if this really resonates with you. Um, Thank you so much for your wisdom today. I feel like I've gained a lot just from our discussion Um, I also want to thank all of you, our listeners, for joining us today. Please like, share, comment, rate, and review this podcast so we can spread the word about our collective wisdom. We'd love to hear your burning questions so that we can answer them. We do respond to all of our comments, so please feel free to comment wherever you're listening. We will look forward to to talking with you next week.